All right, our sermon passage today is from Exodus chapter 7. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, where we'll get into the first of the ten plagues. And the word of the Lord says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Amen. You guys may be seated. Let's pray together. Father and our God, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and our Redeemer. And in his name we cry out, believing that you hear our prayers, believing that we have been made your people, and believing that your kindness and mercy and faithfulness and goodness and love are forever poured upon us, not because of who we are and not because of what we have done, but because of Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. And so it is with very thankful hearts that we enter your presence this morning. And Lord, this morning as your people, we cry out, And we ask for your help. Father, would you give your people strength, endurance for today and tomorrow and what lies ahead? Lord, at this particular moment, in this particular time, we all find ourselves stretched, stressed, 
filled with angst, weary, and in need of help. And Lord, we don't want to turn anywhere but to you. So Lord, would you help your people today find endurance and strength to put one foot in front of another and walk forward in faith. And Lord, we ask for hope. It is one thing to believe in our heads that you are the one true God. It is another to have hope for tomorrow because you are the one true God. It is one thing to believe in our heads that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but it is another thing to have hope for today because you have promised you will never leave us nor forsake us. It is one thing in our heads to believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against your kingdom or your church, but it is another thing to have hope for our living because the gates of hell will never prevail against your church or against your kingdom. Now, O Lord, stir in us a great confident passion For your glory. And stir in us. A healthy vision. Of who you are. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you haven't already. Take your Bible. Turn to Exodus chapter 7. Um, We're going to begin in verse 14. Where Spencer read for us this morning. Um, Here at Redeemer. We've been studying our way through. um, The book of Exodus. With this overarching theme of our God saves. And today we begin um, the section in the book of Exodus known as the Ten Plagues or the Ten Wonders. And what happens in these Ten Plagues or these Ten Wonders is God is going to deliver his people from Israel that they may worship him and serve him. What happens in these ten plagues is God is going to show his power and that his power is unending. What happens in these ten plagues is that God is going to keep his word and keep his promises to his people. And what happens in these ten plagues is God is going to show that he is the one true God who is greater than all deities at large. Now, we could study these plagues one at a time, and we could have nine sermons that sound very, very similar, because the first nine of the ten plagues play out in a very similar pattern. God sends Moses to say, let my people go, and Aaron says it, and Pharaoh says no, and God delivers a plague upon Egypt. Pharaoh still says no, and we move on. So we could go through them one at a time and have nine weeks of sermons that sound very, very similar. But what I would like to do is to take the first nine plagues as as kind of a unit, because they are very similar, and then we're going to spend a few weeks 
considering some different elements of these nine stories. So what Spencer read for you earlier was the first plague. It's found in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, and and there are eight more that follow along in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. So if I could give you homework, can we do church homework? Is that okay? If not, I'm going to do it anyway, but church homework. I would love for you to read Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10 as many times as you can over the next three or four weeks. And as you read them, look for patterns. Look for differences. Look for things that are similar. Look for what the Lord is showing about himself. Look for what the Lord is showing about Pharaoh. Look for what, how the Lord is showing that he's at work in these nine plagues. And today, what I want to do is, is introduce some ways that help us think rightly and maybe pray rightly as we look through these plague stories together. And here's what, here's what I would argue holds all nine of the plagues together. All nine of these stories. The one true God delivers his people and nothing stands in his way. Let me rephrase that. The one true God delivers his people and nothing can ultimately stand in his way. He will remove all obstacles. And when I say the one true God, we're speaking of the God who has revealed himself as the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, the God in these plague narratives who is often called the God of the Hebrews and the God that we ultimately know as the father of Jesus Christ. There is this one God who is, who always has been, always will be, and he builds a people who represent him on the earth, and he is faithful to his people, and nothing will ultimately stand in the way of God delivering his people. And so we see this theme playing out through first water turned to blood, Second, frogs throughout the land. Third, gnats throughout the land. Fourth, flies throughout the land. Fifth, the death of livestock. Sixth, boils upon the skin. Seventh, hail like no one has ever heard. And and being in the South, I feel the need to spell that out. That's H-A-I-L. Like no one has ever seen or heard. Eighth, locusts throughout the land. And ninth, total darkness throughout the land. All of that leading up to a final plague of the firstborn sons of the people of Egypt being killed. So the question before us today, like I said, I want to kind of frame how we read and pray through and think about these narratives. The question before us today is why 10 plagues? Why 10 plagues? And if you just were to go home and Google 10 plagues, you'll see all types of pontification about about how this was 
rude or mean or evil of God about how it didn't have to be this way. And I am here to say to us that if we think about these plagues in a biblical way and we think about them in the way that the passages tell us to think about them, what we will see is the Lord was being faithful to his word, faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, and he would not allow Pharaoh to obstinately stand in the way of him keeping his word to his people. So, four themes, four ways of thinking that I think help us understand why these plagues play out. Number one, Point number one, let my people go. Let my people go. The Lord was very, very clear from the very beginning that his actions toward Pharaoh and his actions toward Egypt had a purpose. God wanted his people delivered from the slavery and bondage in Egypt to go back to the land he promised them to worship and serve him the way that he intended them to do. So the Lord wants his people delivered and let go so that they can serve him. Now, if repetition is our friend, then we will see that in these plagues... Every time Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh, the message was delivered, let my people go. Chapter 7, let's just do a little sampling. Verse 16. And you shall say to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. And he says, a plague is coming. But do you see what's going on here? Let my people go. The Lord wants his people to be let go. Second plague. Chapter 8, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Third plague, there is no preamble of meeting with Pharaoh. Fourth plague, Chapter 8, verse 20. Go to Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not, and if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. Fifth plague. Chapter 9, verse 1, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, plague. Sixth plague, no preamble. Seventh plague, let my people go. Eighth plague, let my people go. Ninth plague, no preamble. Tenth plague, 
let my people go. So if repetition means anything to us, the Lord's desire is for his people to be delivered, for his word to be fulfilled, and for his people to serve him and worship him and honor him in the way that he always intended, in the place that he intended, as his plans unfolded. So the motive or a motive behind these plagues is God wants his people to be delivered and Pharaoh will not deliver them. And so the plagues become instantaneous, moment after moment, the Lord prying his hands, prying Pharaoh's fingers off of his intention to cling to the Israelites and not let them This narrative shows us that God is faithful to the promises he makes his people. This narrative shows us that God is faithful to the promises he makes his people. So I would say to you today, Christian, take up your Bible. Find the promises that the Lord speaks to his people. And these plague narratives drive home how intent he is to let nothing stand in the way of him delivering his people. Second, you're like, dude, there's a whole sermon there. I know. Come back next week, okay? Second, theme that we get through these plague narratives. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? It is the intention of the Lord to show who he is to Pharaoh, to Egypt, and to the nations through this series of plagues. So if you'll remember... Chapter 5, verse 2. We're going to do a little Bible drill today. We're going to be all over the place. Chapter 5, verse 2. The first time that Moses and Aaron went into the presence of Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Do you hear what's going on there? Pharaoh says, I'm not sure who the Lord is, and second, I'm not enamored with his power, so third, I'm not going to listen to him. And what's going on in these narratives is the one true God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the Hebrews, the father of Jesus, showing to Pharaoh exactly who he is so that his power, his character, his mercy, his compassion, his saving will be known not just in Egypt, but to the ends of the earth. Look at Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. We see this theme play out again. This is the seventh plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. What's the Lord saying? I am doing this so that you'll know I'm the Lord. So that Egypt will know I'm the Lord. And so the nations will know that I am the Lord. And I am faithful to do the work that I've promised to do through my people. And I always will be. This story about the Exodus wasn't just about Israel And it wasn't just about Egypt, but it was about the nations knowing the power of the Lord. So so I said that a theme in these, these narratives is the Lord showing who he is. There's also a theme under this question of who is the Lord of the Lord showing that he is greater than all the deities in the Egyptian pantheon of gods. The Lord is showing that he is greater than all the deities that that the Egyptians might trust rather than him. Or perhaps it's this. He's showing to the Israelites, his people, that he's greater than all the Egyptian gods that, that they might be tempted to trust in. And... You might think that I'm reading a little too much into the passage to say that. But Moses actually tells us this in Numbers chapter 33 and verse 4. Numbers chapter 33 verse 4. On the day after the Passover, that was the tenth of the plagues. The people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. So part of what's going on here is that Yahweh, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of of the Hebrews and the father of Jesus is showing that indeed he is the one true Lord and all other deities are futile and failing and unable. Now, one of the things that pops up in the Exodus narrative, so the first plague that Spencer just read for read to us earlier The Lord said, I'm going to turn the waters of the Nile into blood, and he did. And how did the Egyptians respond? Did they respond by saying, oh, 
That is an amazing thing. No, they responded with an act of worship. They looked at their people, their religious leaders, and said, go do the same thing. And the text tells us that the Lord allowed them to do that. And then the second plague, the plague of frogs, they didn't go, amazingly, the Lord is great. They said to their religious leaders, go do the frog thing for us too. And it says that the Lord allowed them to replicate it. So you see what's going on here? This is about allegiance to God. And the Egyptians are resolved that their gods are greater and their gods are better. And then we get to the third plague, the gnats. And the Egyptians again look and say, go do the gnat thing. And they come back and they say, we can't. There's a deity at work here that that is greater than we are. So what is playing out in these narratives is the Lord is showing who he is, his character, his power, his greatness, his faithfulness, and that he indeed is to be trusted. Now, I always like to try to give my fellow nerd friends something to do on Sunday afternoon, okay? There are numerous studies that have been done trying to tie each one of the plagues to one of the Egyptian gods that, that ultimately um, the Lord would have been showing his power over. Now, I'm no expert on Egyptology, so I'm not going to present all that to you this morning. I'm just going to give you this. The Lord was showing that indeed he's greater than all their gods and he was toppling them. But there's some fascinating stuff for you to Google this afternoon if you don't say get into golf or need a great nap or something like that. So there you go. So what do we take out of this? There's one true God. And he's to be known in the way that he's revealed. He's to be celebrated for who he is. And he's not just the hope of Israel, but he's the hope of all the nations. He wants his name known to the ends of the earth. Let's tell of his power and let's tell of his greatness. Now let's bring this to the gospel. If we know God through Christ, we've experienced his saving power in a great and mighty way, just as the Israelites did from Egypt. He's brought us from death to life. And he brought us from death to life that we would tell of his greatness to the ends of the earth. So let that be our marching orders and our hope. Third. Third theme here. The Lord uses these ten plagues to show that his blessings are for his people. I had this point as making distinction. Making distinction. And so it it might have been possible if you're an Egyptian to go, oh, well, yeah, your God can do this. Well, my God can do this. And then you get to the fourth plague the third and the fourth plague, where their gods can't do it, but it happens all over the land. And you, just, you know, like this is just a natural disaster. It's just a natural phenomenon. But when we get to number four and number five, what happens is the Lord sends a plague, but it doesn't go on his people. It doesn't go to Goshen, the land where his people are. Flies, they don't go to Goshen. 
Livestock dying, doesn't happen in Goshen. Hail, not in Goshen. Darkness, not there either. Death of the firstborn son, it's not there either. Why would the Lord make this distinction? To show that he works for his people and his power, his judging power doesn't fall upon his people who walk in his mercy and in his blessing. This is being made known evident through these plagues. The Lord's blessings are on the Lord's people. And the Lord's judgment is upon all who reject him. I think it's very easy for us to bring this forward. We become the Lord's people through Christ, and the Lord's blessings ultimately fall upon those who are in Christ, and those who reject Him will receive the righteous and right judgment of the Lord. So, one of, not one, but the most important question for any of us today is. Am I in Christ? Fourth theme that I think is really important for us as we read the plagues. Acts of mercy. And then I put a question mark there because most of you are going to say, hold up. You're telling me that the sending of blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and the death of the livestock and the boils and the hail and the locusts and the darkness over the land should be seen as acts of mercy? Shouldn't they be seen as acts of judgment and acts of condemnation? Yeah, they should be seen as acts of mercy, and here's why. The Lord knew from the very beginning where this was going. He said in Exodus 4, verse 21, sorry, verse 22, You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So from the very beginning, the Lord said, you've taken my firstborn and I will get my firstborn back all the way to the cost of your firstborn. So why didn't we just go there? Why do we need the other nine plagues? The Lord was mercifully putting before Pharaoh an opportunity for it not to escalate all the way to the place that it needed to escalate. Now, those of us who love God's sovereignty and God's providence, let's not jump too quickly and say, yeah, 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 I know the Lord knew. But these were not faux acts of mercy. Let my people go. Let them go. It doesn't happen. And so I think it's important for us to read that each of these acts was a warning. And it was a warning calling on Pharaoh to repent. And Pharaoh would not repent. His heart was hardened and he would not repent. And so, yes, it escalates all the way to the place of firstborn son for firstborn son. Because the Lord will ultimately deliver his people. But I think it's important for us to see the Lord putting these acts of potential mercy in front of Pharaoh and ultimately in front of Egypt step by step before he moves swiftly to the decisive action of killing 
the firstborn sons of Egypt. And I think we bring that forward in this very way, friends. That's how God works. Romans chapter 5 tells us it's the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. Judgment, justice, vindication, ultimately they will come. But the Lord has been slow and compassionate and merciful, offering his son to us so all who believe in him may have life in his name. So as you consume the Lord's oxygen right now, the Lord is being merciful to you. And if you in hardness of heart are turning away from his son and from the salvation that comes from him, this is the day to repent. And I would invite you to repent. And I would love to help you repent and find life in Christ. So our Father and our God, I pray now that you would teach your people, you would work in us and accomplish your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.